You have a seat. And howdy. howdy. My name is Kevin Barham, the college pastor here at our Southwood campus. And this is my last week with you here over the summer. And uh, it has been a fun time journeying through the book of Esther with you guys, for you guys that have been here through the whole series. And we're going to be uh, doing our last installment of the book of Esther. And if you were with us last week, you know we ended in chapter 4. And that means we got to do chapters 5 through 10 quickly this morning. So if you have a Bible, jump to Esther chapter 10. We're going to go all the way to the end this morning, uh, get to the end, and then kind of work our way through the middle portions so you'll get the basic storyline. But go study it on your own. It's a great, great book. Esther chapter 10, the book of Esther is, uh, if you flip to Psalms in the middle of your Bible, just to the left, um, two books before Job, and Esther chapter 10, just three simple verses, and we actually got them on the screen. Yeah. It says this. Now King Assuserus imposed tax on the land and all, all the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Assuserus. And he was among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers. Why was he popular? Why was he raised to second in command, even to Xerxes? Key part, the last part of verse 3 says this. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all of his people. Because he sought the welfare of his people and he spoke peace to all of his people. We pray for us one more time. Lord, I, I pray that as we consider the legacies we leave, that you would help us to be men and women like Mordecai and Esther that are not perfect, but by God's grace, leverage their lives to leave a lasting legacy, a legacy of investment, a legacy where they impacted the lives of people which are most important and most precious to you. Lord, I ask you to guide our time. Let me pray. Amen. Well, I made a tombstone. Had to start in a high note, right? At the end of your life, at the end of my life, this, will, this is what will be left of you or me. Everything that you spend all of your days doing, everything that you spend all of your days building will, will be left with a moment like this. And so you may be saying, well, Kevin, I'm not going to be buried. I'm going to cremate. Not fine, but you'll... You'll be left with a moment like this, and and here will lie you. This will be your remains. This will be your life, and there will be a date below your name, and it will say 19-something to 20-something, unless you're you're under 18, and then it'll say 20-something to 20-something, maybe even 21 if you're really young, 21-something. And that time will be, be you, the life that you live. The legacy that you leave. And the legacy that you leave, that it's the, probably the small, smallest part of the tombstone, is the dash in between the dates. The dash literally in between the dates is your impact. The legacy you leave, the, the mark that you leave on this earth. It's your education. It's your vacations. right? It's the people you interact with. It's the money that you make. It's the houses that you build. Everything is all contained on your tombstone in that little dash. And the question I want to ask you is this, what is the legacy that you're leaving? What legacy, what will be said of your life when it's all said and done? 
See, Mordecai, we read Mordecai's epitaph. We read Mordecai's tombstone. This is the legacy that he left, and it's really encapsulated in verse 3. That he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace for all of his people. The life that Mordecai lived, the greatness that he attained, was really wrapped in one simple dedicated life that was dedicated to one thing, people. The legacy that you leave is primarily focused on the people that you invest in. Billy Graham says this, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather the legacy of character and faith. It's that legacy of faith that you pour into your children, the people beneath you. And the reason I I go there is because that is the most important impact of the story of Esther, is the legacy. And the most important impact you can make in your life is the legacy that you leave. The the impact that you leave will be largely weighed on the people that you invest in. And I'm going to go back through the book of Esther. I'm going to tell you that the legacies in life don't come in a simple moment. It's it's a lifetime of investment. So I want to show you through the book of Esther, the legacies of how Mordecai built his legacy, how Esther built her legacy, and ultimately the impact of their life. The first thing that we see in this is that legacy is built. If your legacy is built one day at a time, one decision at a time. I'll tell you this, your legacy is built not with magnificent moments. It's not key moments in life. It's daily decisions. There's a book written by Darren Hardy called The Compound Effect, and he writes this. Most people get tripped up by the simplicity of the compound effect. For instance... They quit after eight days of running because they're still overweight. Or they stop practicing the piano after six months because they haven't mastered anything but chopsticks. I get that. Or they stop making contributions to their IRAs for after a few years because they, they could use the cash. And it doesn't seem to be adding up to much of anything. And here's the key. What they don't realize is that these small, seemingly insignificant steps completed consistently over time will create a radical difference. The impact of your life is largely built on small steps of obedience. And that's what we see through the life of Esther and Mordecai. Small steps of obedience that led to a a great legacy. And we saw it in chapter 4 this past week. Chapter 4 was a turning point in the life of Esther. Where she decided, if I don't step forward, all my people will die. Mordecai brought this to her attention. And she says this magnificent statement at the end of chapter 4. Okay, you pray. I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. It was a turning point decision. But it was also that huge step of faith to say, I'm going to go in front of the king. And I'm going to ask him to, to release the edict, to stop the edict that he sent out to kill all of the Jews. You see, from the story where we are so far is that Haman was, a, was second in command under Xerxes. And he had a decree issued by Xerxes to kill all of the Jews, literally annihilating all of them because he had this issue with Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't bow and pay homage to Haman. And so he said, I'm going to annihilate all the Jews. And Esther says, okay, I will step up and do something. In chapter 5, represents her stepping up into the presence of the king. Chapter 5, verse 1, it shows it like this. Now on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters. 
Now, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. That was a key moment. If the king did not extend the royal scepter and someone came in uninvited, he would kill them. That was a huge step of faith. He extended it, and she comes into his presence. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? And it shall be given to you up to half my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I've prepared for the king. And the king said, Bring Haman quickly, and so that he might do as Esther asked. And so the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And so she plans this feast to bring Haman in so that she can reveal Haman's plan to the king. See, she needed to stand in front of the king, and she doesn't, wasn't going to go in there and just with guns blazing. She was actually going to slowly show the wrong of Haman and ask the king to protect her people. She's going to show it in a slow way. What's so interesting is that her simple act of faithfulness meant what? I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to throw a party. And this will be my simple act of faithfulness to move in and try to help my people. I don't know what your simple acts of faithfulness look like, but sometimes they're a lot smaller than you think. Sometimes they're less significant. And see, your legacy is built not on moments of greatness. It's literally small acts of faithfulness. I need to get in front of the king. I need to have an audience with him. Here's my process to get there. The same is true in your life. See, I'll tell you what, your faithfulness, parents of raising kids is built one diaper at a time, right? This weekend, I was taking a shower. I thought I had a moment of peace. I'm like, kids are entertained. I'm going in there. I'm going to relax for a second. And then in comes my two-year-old daughter. She goes, ah, poopy. I'm like, how bad is it? You know, I mean, as a parent, you, you weigh those things in, you know, it's like, how, how bad is it? And she's like, it's bad. And I'm like, it's bad. I'm like, all right. And, and you just go. And I remember one of those moments, you're just like, gosh, I just, engaging students, a degree is built one paper at a time. I mean, it's only one paper at the end of it, right? But to get that one paper, it's one faithful paper at a time that you invest in at work. It's one project at a time. It's those steady acts of faithfulness that build your legacy. And here's the key. You don't know when that legacy will pay off. You don't know when all those investments will return and reward. You do not. Because neither did Mordecai. See, if you remember at the end of chapter 2, verses 19 through the end, Mordecai did something amazing for, the king, for King Xerxes. He reported a threat on the king's life. And literally, he, he said, Queen Esther, tell the king that these two men are going to try to kill him. And, and he literally spares the king's life. But nothing's done for Mordecai until this moment. You see, what, what building a legacy means is that you do what you can do. And then you let God move in and do what only he can do. And that's what we see in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1 we see the tables beginning to turn in the favor of the Jews. Verse 1, it says this, Now on that night the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of the memorable deeds of the chronicles, and they read them before the king. So the king has insomnia, he can't sleep, and so what does he do? 
He says, get someone in here to read me history, right? So I was a government major, so I can make the joke, but just let me read the history of our nation, and that will lull me off to sleep. Verse 2, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthan and Teresh, the two king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who sought to lay hands on King Asusurus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Did we reward him? You see, you, as a king at this culture, you had to reward those people that stood in for you. In fact, Herodias, um, one of the Greek historians, writes of two instances when Xerxes did reward people for faithfulness. One was that he granted land to two ship captains who had assisted in a battle against the Greeks. And a second incident was when a man was made a governor of Sicilia for saving the life of Xerxes' brother. So at this time, if you wanted people to continue to do nice things for you, you rewarded those people that stepped up for you. And literally, Mordecai had not been rewarded for five years. How long will it take blessing to come back to your life? I don't know. How long will it take for reward to come to you? I don't know. When I talk to parents, I say this. It feels like when you're raising kids, the days are long and the years are short. The days are long and the years are short. On Saturday, my day with my two-year-old daughter began at 5 a.m., and went until 10 o'clock that night. The days are long, but the years are short. And that time of investment is so crucial. And you don't know when it will return. Remember when I was in college, I, uh, I led my first Bible study with a group of sixth grade boys. And they set it up trying to set me up for success. They gave me a bowl of Skittles. They gave me a group of sixth grade boys. And there were different colored Skittles, and and each Skittle represented a fact that a kid could share about themselves. So the green is, what's your favorite animal, you know, so on. But I didn't get to play the game, because as soon as I brought the bowl of Skittles in for the sixth grade boys, they all, like, lunged after the bowl and, like, are pulling it away from me. I'm like, what are these children doing, you know? And so I, like, I put up and hit it, and I'm like, I'm like, this is insane. Like, what am I doing here, right? And flash forward a year, after spending time with those guys, learning how to lead them, the youth pastor came to me and said, hey, Kevin, I want you to preach a message to our junior high students. My first time to ever really get in front of a group and speak. I was like, I don't know what to do. But I was faithful there. And now I've got a new opportunity to be faithful here. A few years later, um, I was coming to College Station. My wife was doing veterinary school here. And we were moving to College Station. And I started interviewing with Zach Nucleaza, who was leading the youth ministry at the time. And he says, tell me about the time of your investment with junior high students. And I was able to give them stories. Hey, here's some kids that I invested in. Here's the impact I was able to make in that short time with them. You see, success, legacy of life, isn't built in magnificent moment. It's built on Skittles, right? It's built on little Bible studies. It's little tokens of investment. Eugene Peterson says this in his book title on the Psalms. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's daily deposits. It's choosing to be faithful and wait for God to bring the results. I don't know when it will turn around for you. I don't know when the new opportunity will come. But I do know this. God blesses faithfulness. 
to his pursuits. So you invest daily. I remember when I first started reading my Bible in college, I didn't know anything. I'd go to Bible study and I knew literally nothing. But I started spending daily deposits reading the scripture. And I remember two years into it, I finally, there was a question asked and I'm like, I know the answer. This is amazing, right? Like, like those daily deposits suddenly came back in a compound effect. All of your life and faithfulness is a compound effect of faithfulness built over time. But not only first, your legacy is built, but secondly, your legacy requires sacrifice. See, all significant impacts in life require sacrifice. And there's a particular sacrifice that God honors. There's a particular sacrifice that he wants you to do, and it's this, that you lay down your life, you leverage your life for the sake of others. Abraham, back in Genesis, one of the first moments you see this is when he leverages his life for the sake of Sodom and Gomorrah. God says he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and literally Abraham gets on his knees and says, my my nephew's there, there's no way you can destroy it. He prays and prays and prays for this city. He got on his knees on behalf of these people. Moses does the same. He's up on Mount Sinai. Sinai, They build the golden calf down below. And God says, all right, Moses, I can wipe them out and start over with you. Which, in hindsight, wouldn't have been a bad idea. If you see what happens. He says, I can start over with you. And Moses says, no. Please, Lord. You let us here. Help me lead them further. Help me save these people. He pleads for them. In Isaiah... Isaiah 6, there's that beautiful moment when Isaiah is in the throne room of God and God asks him this question. Verse 8, he says, And I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. If there's someone that needs to speak to the people, let me be the one that speaks. If there's someone that needs to move in, let me be the one that moves in. Here I am, Lord. Let me go. And every now and then in Scripture, you see moments where there's no one there to stand. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, God says this, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. See, sometimes God looks out and he doesn't see anyone willing to rise, anyone willing to sacrifice. But that's not the case with Esther and Mordecai. They are ones that are willing to step in at the risk of their life for the sake of the people. So in Esther chapter 7, she sets up her, her moment, her banquet. She brings in Haman and says, Xerxes, Haman has sought to kill all of the people. He's a, an evil person with evil intent. That's his desire. And Xerxes understands this and says, okay, then you, Haman, are going to be sentenced to death. He, Haman had actually prepared a gallows to hang Mordecai, and Haman is then hung on the gallows that he built. The story turns. But the edict had still gone out. The people were still under threat. And so chapter 8 of Esther, she has to move into the presence of Xerxes a second time at the risk of her life and say, King, the people are still under threat. The people could still die. Can we do anything for them? And literally the king says, fine, here's a pen, here's paper. You write whatever you want to, to help your people survive this massacre that's coming. In chapter 9, verse 1, is the summary statement of it. Chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, 
on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on that very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. Literally, the tables were turned, and the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. And the Jews gathered in their cities together throughout all the provinces of King Assyrus to lay hands on those who sought to do them harm, and no one could stand against them, for fear of them had fallen all the people. See, what happened is these people needed to stand and fight because their lives were on the line. And the only reason they could do that is because one man and one woman decided to step in and sacrifice their freedom, sacrifice an ease of life. I mean, she was in the court of the king. Sacrifice comfort to step in and help. But listen, every great impact that our world sees comes when people are willing to sacrifice, when people are willing to give up some of their rights, give up some of their preferences to help others. Every industry sees this. Bill Simmons wrote a book called The Book of Basketball. And in the book, he has an interview, the first chapter, um, where he talks with Isaiah Thomas, who played for the Detroit Pistons. And in that book, in that interview, he asks Isaiah Thomas a question. And in the interview, Simmons asked Thomas, what's the secret to winning NBA championships? And Thomas paused and smiled and hinted that there was definitely a secret to winning championships. And he said this, the secret of basketball, Thomas said, is that it's not about basketball. He says, most people think about winning basketball as having all the right star players who can score the most points, who can get the most rebounds, have the, most highest, have the highest shooting percentage, and I have all the right statistics. And he said, we had that guy, and a guy named Adrian Dantley, who was all about his own statistics. And we traded him away for a guy named Mark Aguirre, who was a buddy of Isaiah. And it says this, Aguirre saw his role as doing anything he could to make the rest of the team successful. The trade didn't make sense on paper, but it led to the results. Thomas says, being the best in basketball is really about the team. He told Simmons, everyone must put the team first. In his book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Patrick Lencioni writes this, not finance, not strategy, not technology. It's teamwork that remains the ultimate competitive advantage, both because it's so powerful and it's so rare. If you want to be a, leave a successful legacy, it means you've got to sacrifice your own preferences. You've got to sacrifice what could be in your best interest for the sake of others. And you're like, Kevin, are you sure about that? I need a verse. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, all right? Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Philippians 2, 4. It's so simple. If you want to be successful, you want to leave a great legacy, you've got to invest of yourself. You've got to sacrifice your preferences for the sake of others. It's how spiritual gifts get used, right? You all have spiritual gifts if you've come to Christ. You have gifts that, that this body needs. And you know the purpose of each gift? It's just to build up the body. Every one of your gifts is so vitally important. And as you sacrifice your time and energy to serve with your gift, I'll tell you what, everyone wins. But it requires a willingness to lay down your rights to serve others. You see, legacy is built with consistent investment. Your legacy requires you to make sacrifices. And thirdly, 
ultimately, your legacy is who will stand beside you. Your legacy is who will stand beside you. Go back to chapter 10 of Esther. It says this. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King of Susurus. And he was great. Okay, why was he great? Why was he great? Among the Jews. And popular. Why was he popular? You want to be great? You want to be popular? Come on, you want to be Why was he great? Why was he popular with the multitudes of his brothers? For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all of his people. You know what your legacy ultimately is? People. Your legacy on your tombstone is ultimately about the people you invest in. The most significant investment you can give in your life is your investment in people. What made him great? What made him popular? He valued people. He spent all of his days looking out for the welfare, helping people, and it's so important. I've said this over and over and over again. I'm going to say it till the day I, lie, I die. There's only, I'm not going to lie, then I'll lie. No, till the day I die. There are only two things in life that last for eternity. The word of God, the Bible in your hand, and the souls of men, the person sitting next to you. So I want you to take a moment right now and look to the person next to you. This will be nice and awkward. And tell them you're eternal. And you'd be like, Kevin, that's a little bit weird. Okay, well, listen. If they know Jesus, you'll be with them forever, right? Like, and you can remember this moment back then, right? Or whenever that is. Like, if, they're, if they know Jesus, if they put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, you'll see these people always, forever, throughout all of eternity, right? Like, there won't be a moment, like, can I get away from her? No, no. <laughs> She loves Jesus, and he loves her, and that's why she's going to be with you forever, right? And, and same with him, right? And here's why. Because people are what are most important to God. People. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, yeah. And he wasn't talking about, like, castles and plants. Like, he was like, people, that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Be forever in eternity with him because God loves people. Peter, at the end of his life, sorry, at the end of the gospel of John, not the end of his life, he had made a wreck of a lot of things. And he had gone off to, to Galilee to, to fish. He says to his boys, I'm going fishing. And at that moment, for Peter to say, I'm going fishing, meant I'm abandoning the purposes of Jesus, and I'm just going to go back to what I know. And then Jesus appears on the shore. He says, little boys, which is a completely derogatory, in-your-face statement. Children, you know, that's what he's saying to his disciples in a boat. And he goes, "Um, haven't caught anything all night, have you? They're like, no. Of course, you don't want to answer. You haven't finished that paper yet, have you? No. He says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do. And they got this great quantity of fish and pulled it in. And, and John says to Peter, hey, it's the Lord. And he says, Peter like jumped off and started swimming to shore. And then John writes, and the rest of us just rowed because we weren't that far from land. 
And then Peter gets right in front of Jesus, right at that moment. And it was almost like everything that had just happened all came to the forefront. All of his denial of him three times, all the fact that he had gone to Galilee and didn't stay where Jesus had told him. It's, it's almost like it all came together at one moment. And Jesus asked him a question. Do you love me? Peter says, hey, you, you know all things. You, you know I love you. And then what does Jesus say in that moment? He doesn't say, hey, I've, I've got a great fishing industry I want you to invest in. I've got some. He says what? Feed my sheep. Now, Jesus didn't have like prized sheep that he wanted Peter to take care of. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, don't forget the flock, man. We've got the sheep and man, can make some money on that. Like, Jesus is not concerned about sheep. He's concerned about people. And he asked him a second time, hey, Peter, do, do you love me more than these? Peter's like, okay, you, you, know, you know all things. You know I love you. He goes, tend my lambs. Invest in people because people are what are most important to me. You want to leave a legacy? You invest in what God cares about most. People. That they might know Jesus and love Jesus. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of opportunity for that. This is what we're about at Grace Bible Church, investing in people. And I just want to highlight one opportunity for some of you that are post-college of one investment that you can make. So I'm asking that couple to come forward. Ben and Suzette Bumgarner, give them a hand. Thank you guys. One opportunity, and there's many that you can do at Grace Bible Church, one opportunity is to serve alongside the college ministry as a table host. Um, we preach a sermon, and then we have an opportunity for our table host to, to lead a discussion on the sermon, but, but more than that, to connect with students in a meaningful way. And so I sent them some questions we're going to run through, and uh, so I want you to start with introducing yourself, your family, and what you guys do. So like you said, my name is Ben. This is my beautiful wife, Suzette. We have been married eight years uh, last May. We have two kids one is two and some change, and the other one is three months old, girl and a boy. Um, we co-own Alpha Sports Chiropractic, so I'm a chiropractor. She's the office manager and everything else, so she works harder than I do. I just get to have fun at work. Um, so not a lot going on in your life? Two kids, business? Yeah. <laughs> what That's did you think? That's awesome. So what made you guys decide to come in and, and table host with us? I'm let you pass it off. Um, I guess really we, we didn't have the intentions of being a table host at the beginning. Uh, we did the, yeah, I know. Um, we did the, uh, spiritual gifts, uh, Sunday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, with Trey. And so we had done the quizzes and we're just trying to figure out how we can actually be involved in the church. Um, we'd been led a lot while we were coming here, uh, during college. And so Trey pretty much just emailed us and was like, Hey, I think you'd be great as a table host. And then we did it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So why did you decide to do it? Just because it was an opportunity or, or what? Um, kind of. Uh, we've been looking to find a way to plug into the church more yeah. to make something big feel a little bit smaller, more personable. And yeah. while we were in undergrad, we partnered with or went with Grace and partnered with Crew to go on a summer mission trip as well. So we had a heart for missions and college students. Awesome. So when Trey was like, hey, y'all could 
continue kind of doing this right. every Sunday with college students here in town. We were just like, oh, okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'll ask you to share, like, what's one story, what's one impactful story that you can kind of share from, from your time leading? You can tell it. Okay. Um, so one of the, uh, I guess it was a boyfriend of a girl that's at our table that we've been able to kind of grow alongside her and help her and kind of mentor her a little bit. Um, even outside of the table, hmm. went on a summer missions trip. And with him getting to know us well enough, he understood that we had a heart for that. And then it came to the night before they're supposed to leave, and they're at their briefing, and one of his teammates ended up being like $700 short on something. And that's one of the things that Suzette and I work hard to do is be able to provide for other people to go because that's something that we have a heart for. And he understood that that was our heart because of the time we got to spend with her and then him via her. So he called us up and was like, hey, this is what's happening. We've got a hold of all these other people and we've been blessed enough to be able to say, hey, you know, whatever is left over at the end of all these other people that you've reached out to will cover. And so we were able to do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So fun. And last question for you. Why are you choosing to lead this next year? Y'all already committed. Okay, too late. I guess, so two parts. Uh, whenever we were doing the initial uh, piece, they were like, hey, you know, uh, I guess the selfish part for us is they said, you know, it's always great to be able to grow with these college students because when they come to your house, you know, they play with your kids. And we are like, done. <laughs> we'll be there. And so, That's awesome. It's always nice to pass them off for, you know, an hour. Um, But in all, you know, realness of it, it's really cool to be able to see people grow. Um, A lot of our table was freshman and sophomore groups, and so it's cool to be able to really walk alongside them as they figure out life. Um, Because we were there. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, And we were married while we went through college, so... I'm always kind of holding out that we'll somehow find a married couple that's in college that has no idea. Because hmm. um, that was us. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Guys, thank you all so much. You are amazing. Give me a hand. Thank you. I love their story because it highlighted something crucially important. Why do it? People. They didn't tell this story, but there was a girl that spent a lot of time with them and um, went through some tough stuff with her family. And, uh, and I watched her come every week and sit with them and just latch onto them as a couple to help her just process where she was in life and help her with some family stuff that was, was going on. I just watched the impact of investing in people. You want to leave a legacy that matters. You want your tombstone, your dash to matter simply means this. It's built one day at a time. It requires you to sacrifice. And your legacy ultimately is going to be standing beside you. For me, uh, when I have a funeral, I don't care what's on my tombstone. Maybe you care. I don't care. What I care about when I'm gone is the people that I've poured my life into. The investment that I made there Because ultimately, on your last day, that's who's left. The people that you poured your life into are the ones that will bury you. Tommy Nelson, pastor of Denton Bible Church, says this. I want 20-year-old pallbearers 
I want to continue to invest my life into the next generation until I'm done and pray that God would raise up more people to continue to pour their life into the next generation. So can I run down the list real quick? We have a children's ministry here that needs you. We have a youth ministry that needs you. We have a uh, a merge ministry that needs you. We have a college ministry that needs you. And you may be saying, well, Kevin, maybe I don't fit in one of those categories for whatever reason. There are people in your neighborhood that need your investment. There's only two things in life that will last for eternity. The word of God and the souls of men. Build your legacy on what matters. Pouring your life into people. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you for men like Mordecai and women like Esther who are not perfect, but by your grace, they were able to invest in your perfect plan. And Lord, I know there's many of us here that would want to make a great impact with our life. And I pray that we would start by simply trusting in you, Jesus, for the death and the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, I pray that we might first believe in you, Jesus, that you died in our place for our sins. And Lord, that you empower us to live a life of impact. And Lord, I know many of us are thinking about where is it that we can pour in our time and energy? Where is it that we can build that legacy? I pray that we would first build it on you, Jesus. And then see the needs of the world and step in to seek the welfare of people. And speak peace into the world that desperately needs your people to speak. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week.